in a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. And welcome to the Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Um, slasher movies list the Video Nasties list. I mean, it's something we go back to again and again and again. It's because the time that the Nasties were out. The Bogeyman, or the Boogeyman, as it's been pronounced in the US, at least has something a little different to it. Like the Slayer, there are supernatural elements that change the dynamics of the film. Bear in mind we were in 1980 when Freddy Krueger was a long way away, Jason was still dead in the lake, and Michael Myers wasn't a killing machine just yet. The problem was, of course, that unlike the Slayer, this slasher wants to slam the Exorcist, Amityville Horror and Halloween all together in a confused mess of a third act. When you were a child... Did they warn you about the boogeyman? The boogeyman. He hurt bad children. And did terrible things to their mommies. But you can't kill the boogeyman. The most terrifying nightmare of childhood returns. The Boogeyman. The Boogeyman. He's going to get you. And you. And you. hide from him. Bogeyman is a 1980 horror film directed by Uli Lomi. It was uh, followed by uh, its sequel, Bogeyman 2, and Return of the Bogeyman. So our film starts in, 19, well, in the 1950s or 1960s kind of time with a young boy who conspires with his sister to murder their mother's abusive uh, boyfriend. 
uh, he ties the, the boy up, she frees him, then lets and and uh, he goes on to then stab him in the bed in a scene that's a bit similar to Nightmares of a Shattered Brain. Now we're in the present, and both siblings are scarred by emotional demons of their past. The lad's been a mute since that day, and his sister, who is uh, Susanna Love, uh, is tormented by nightmares. If that isn't enough, a demon is released from an old from the old mirror which witnessed the deed uh, the the murder and is shattered, releasing the victim's enraged spirit to seek bloody revenge. He's not particularly bothered about who he takes his anger out on either. A uh, a boy is you know children are attacked, uh, people not involved with the case at all, and. Um, the net tightens, as it were, on um, on the on the family, <clears throat> as shards of glass seemingly contain this vengeful spirit. Um, it's frequently compared to Halloween, mainly because of its uh, piano music and that first point of view. One that one of the, the intros is a point of view shot of the murder. When you were growing up, the boogeyman was just a fantasy. It had its own power. The boogeyman. The boogeyman. He's here. Now. By the time they believe in him, it will be too late. The boogeyman. Rated R. So yeah, so the film is uh, has has Halloween elements with with its soundtrack and occasional shots shots a uh, bit of um, a bit of Exorcist as well in its third act with its demonic possession climax, um, and uh, but instead of kind of reliant on attention like those two films do, it kind of relies on shock, violent uh, slasher kills, um, to kind of jolt you, sharp objects plunge into necks, scissors into throats. Uh, screwdrivers into the base of the neck. Um, there's also a kind of, I mean, what we would call final destination kind of deaths in terms of environment kills that contribute. No, and you know, you meant to think that the um, this evil malevolent force is kind of pushing people to their doom. It is um, not a badly directed movie, although it is quite derivative. Uh, particularly if looking back from today, I think it probably would have held up a little better then. Um, I know for some it's a it's a, it's, it's a favoured movie, but uh, uh, for me it's 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 second tier. But it has um, some some decent mood. mood uh, Lommel is not you know he's he's pretty good uh, in terms of kind of generating mood. He's not a bad director, and uh, if he kind of worked a, a bit of a better script. Um, it probably would have worked better. Certainly, now I think the Bogeyman is more known for its uh, notorious sequels, one of which is on the list, which were basically are re-edited versions of the of this film, uh, used as a as a time-saving device. Uh, Bogeyman Two, also known as Revenge of the Bogeyman, is um, 
is on the is on the list as well and we'll have to discuss it although i'm not convinced i know what i'm going to talk about at that stage because the first 40 minutes of the film as a as a money saving device are actually basically this film repeated and uh, it feels quite tight for 40 minutes you know Uli Lommel was born in 1944 and he's German. He's an actor and a director and he's known for horror now. Um, he is, he came from, um, Rainer Werner Fassbender's films. Now, Werner Werner Fassbender, if you're not sure, was, uh, died in 82 and was a German film director, screenwriter, an actor. And he was, uh, pivotal in the new German cinema, uh, wave. Um, he was incredibly uh, busy, despite uh, you know he, despite dying young, he made forty feature films, two TV series, three shorts, uh, four video productions, twenty four stage plays, four radio plays, and he acted in thirty six movies. Uh, Larmel starts his career as an actor in some of these films in the sixties. Uh, he was in Russ Meyer's Fanny Hill. And uh, he starred in uh, Fastbinder's uh, direct debut, uh, Love is Colder Than Death. And uh, that cast ensemble won an award in the German Film Awards in 1970. Fastbinder and Lommel worked in more than 20 films after 67. And Fastbinder produced Lommel's The Tenderness of Wolves, which is a drama about the murders of Fritz Harmon. Now, Lommel will go on to make numerous director video serial killer films which kind of tarnished his image a bit but it is a, a you know even at this stage it was a, a theme that he was fascinated by and that movie was nominated as at the 20, 23rd berlin international film festival for the golden bear he moved to the states in 1977 and worked with andy warhol who produced his film cocaine cowboys and he appeared in Blank Generation from 1980. Now, in 1980, he made this film as well. Now, at the time, at the time, he said that he wanted to make a movie that mixed German art house cinema with American mainstream. Now, that's not something that's uncommon in horror. I mean, you look at Nosferatu, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I mean, you know, he's on safe ground there. Um, I think. I mean, some people who listen to this podcast might scoff at that idea that he managed to achieve it. My feeling is that he, um, I think it's that mirror motif that he's most interested in, the, 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 the idea of the mirror shattering. Um, you know, is what it is. Anyway, he made uh, Brainwaves in 82 with Tony Curtis, The Devonsville Terror with Donald Pleasance, and Revenge of the Stolen Stars with Claude Kalinske. He's worked in horror mainly, although he does work in science fiction and drama too, but it's these direct-to-video movies based on the lives of serial killers, which is kind of, I think, probably uh, tarnished the way he's seen now. They're being panned. Uh, they are, uh, you know, they, they, they are exploitative and, uh, 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 in terms of, you know, using these killers' names to create quite... Uh, Unimaginative, um, straight to video dramas. Um, that is what it is, I suppose.
My name is Zodiac. Anyway, um, Susan Love is the real-life sister of the co-star Nicholas Love, who plays that mute brother. And obviously she's the, the then-wife of uh, Uli Lamy as well. As she and Lamy will co-author the screenplay for this film. Susanna Love is an American actress. Um, she uh, she grew up in Manhattan and starred in various films, and she's a standard oil heiress. Um, probably best known beyond the bogeyman for hair, in truth, from 79. Nick Love worked on Jennifer 8, uh, Twin Peaks, and had a small part in Wilder Heart, so he's kind of in that kind of direct, you know, directing group. And uh, there's a random appearance by John Carradine as a doctor. Now, obviously, Carradine is, uh, you know, grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, and he was, uh, you know, he started off in Camel in, in 1925. He worked for a scene designer for Cecil B. DeMille, but uh, who gave him voice work on, his, on his, some of his films. His on-screen debut was uh, Tolerable David. Um, and he was a prolific actor. I mean, he's known for appearing in um, leading roles of Hamlet, Malovolo. Um He appeared in a. He was used one of the group of actors that appeared in a lot of John Ford's films for um, very. You know, I think he's in Stagecoach. Um, you know, and. Um, Later on in life, he was kind of cast as um, these kind of films where he was the, the slightly older, wiser man in horror films. Um, and he, he does, you know, it's fair to him, he adds a great deal of gravitas. And when he's talking about, um, obviously, a lot of the silliness that's happening in the film, you kind of, you do, you, you do kind of go with him on that. And, uh, you know, he does add a bit of weight to what is rather silly uh, elements of the movie. I mean, we are, in the end, talking about a haunted mirror. The movie was released on video in November 1981 by Vipco and was later visited as a video nasty in October 83, but it was dropped from the list in July 85. Now, the reason why it was dropped was that, um, is that it basically had already been given an X certificate, um, so it was, you know, it, it had been passed as such, so you were never gonna, they were always gonna struggle trying to get a conviction for that, to be fair. And it was re-released after 44 seconds of cuts in 1992 by Vipco again, and finally got an uncut release in 2000 with, 18, with an 18 certificate. There was an extended version that got got uh, released again uncut in, tw- in 2004. Um, so you can get it if you want it. You can get it. Basically, it's available on various different DVDs and, and whatnot. Um, I think it's another example of. Um, you know, they never they were never going to get a conviction because it had already been passed on court. Um, you know, it's not a particularly pleasant film. There's you know scissors going into people's necks and that kind of thing. It's quite violent, but at the same time, you know, they, they, it's already been waved through in in, in, a, in a slightly trim form. So I don't really know what the plan was there at all. Yeah, so I mean that that certificate kind of saved it, and also saved its sequel. Considering the fact that, and we will go into it in a great in a lot more depth uh, next, you know, when we talk about it in the future. 
but that film also, uh, you know, it, it basically the reason why it was banned was because it contained bits of this film. So you can't have it both ways. I think it's an indication exactly of the, 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 how little was being sorted out at that time. And, you know, obviously when we, when we go into stuff, it, you know, it, it, the reason why a lot of these films are then cut afterwards is this concept that was added. Not much the get out of jail free card for the, the way that some of the actions had happened. That, um, you know, somehow because it's on a home rather than on a cinema screen, the film has some kind of more ability to offend or shock or corrupt because it's in your living room rather than on a big screen. I'm not exactly sure how that works, really, but I mean, that, that's how it's always been sold. Obviously, that doesn't have, that's not the case anymore, but I think the idea that somehow a film would have more power if it's on a little box in the corner of your room rather than, you know, you're sitting. And it's right in front of you, massive on a big screen. Seems bizarre to me. So it is, for me personally, pretty okay. I think it, I think its biggest problems are the fact that it hasn't aged that well, really. Um, and you know, some of those kills uh, are not great. Um, you know, um, the, I'm thinking of the one particularly. Uh, there's there's a there's three kills in fast succession. That kind of like forty-five minutes into the film, which basically launches the you know the the the, the slasher elements of the movie before it goes you know that second act of kill it the second act of people getting killed uh, before it all goes a bit bug nuts basically with um, the third act, but um, that second act when you know somebody's killed by a a, a, a cabinet you know a medicine cabinet door opening, which is ridiculous. Um, there's some, you know, a very silly death with a, with a child's head. He gets crushed by a, a windowsill closing on him, which uh, should be shocking, but is kind of a little bit silly. And, you know, but, you know, at the same time, it's quite imaginative. It just doesn't play as well with the uh, tropes as you would like. And, you know, I think the reason why Halloween works is not because it's got good, big, gory deaths. It's because it's a tense film. And the same with The Exorcist and the same with Amityville. All of which were such huge influences on this movie. I think, you know, we hadn't reached the stage when it was all about the kill scenes yet in, in, in the genre. I mean, that, that was to come really, uh, you know, with the impact of Friday the 13th, which is, was literally just around the corner.
I've also got a little bit of feedback um, from uh, Rob Wilson, who's a regular contributor, which is brilliant. He says, I didn't see Cannibal Ferox, which is the film we talked about last time. I didn't know it was also Make Them Die Slowly. Right before I got a VHS recorder, uh, I got uh, that was in early 84. A school friend had me over. His dad had a few tapes of movies on them. He told me his his dad had one that he wouldn't let him and his brother see. Make Them Die Slowly was that movie. His slightly older brother told me he watched about 10 minutes of it when his parents were gone. I don't remember what he exactly said, just remember it horrified me. When I did get a VHS, my friend said he would probably get the tape out the house. I declined using my parents as an excuse. The fact that his dad had bad penmanship only added to my fear of this tape. Which is brilliant. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, funnily enough, I have a memory of uh, The Thing, which is similar. I was too young to watch it, and uh, my mate rather gleefully showed me just the kill scenes. I just thought it was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life and ran away. Uh, oh, to be young again. <laughs> um, speaking about... Um, the Bogeyman. He says, This is less a review of Bogeyman, more of an admission of seeing the movie. Uh, post this on my Facebook, May 10th, 2012. 1980s The Bogeyman starts off Halloween. Sharp turns into Amityville. It sort of ends in an Exorcist vibe. The supernatural final destination type of killings are downright silly. Uli Lamo directed. Only ever saw one other Uli film, Zombie Nation. Well, I saw 20 minutes of it. Boy, that was a stinker. Mark this off my list of watching that video nasties, and yes, I have a video. It's been about a year and a half since, and I can't remember that movie at all. Great stuff. Cheers, Chris. Funnily enough, again, um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, that was where, that's where, funnily enough, that's where my head was with it as well, very much so. Obviously, we, we, I've gone through the death the kills, and we've kind of, we've kind of agreed on that, but, um, I mean, I watched this film maybe, maybe three years ago and uh, I'd never seen it before and uh, I could not at all remember anything that happened in it at all and it was only when it first started it kind of started rushing back to me and said oh yeah I know this 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 and I've seen both <laughs> you know the thing about this I've seen both I've seen it in this form and I've seen it in the the sequel version as well and I still really wasn't quite um, able to get my head around what was going on I couldn't really remember it uh, thanks also to Scott P as well. We were talking about um, those trailers for Let Them Die Slowly and for, you know Campbell Ferox uh, and the salaciousness about that. And also, thanks very much for him for, for letting me put a bit of a Derek and give me an excuse to put a bit of Derek and Clive in the podcast. Um, it's uh, it's great to listen to. And also, uh, the response has been fantastic from it, I have to say. Uh, I think there's a lot of Derek and Clive fans out there that listen to this podcast, which is fantastic. Um, okay, so if you want to get hold of me, please do. They use the website, which is videonassispodcast.com. You don't have to, though. You could email me at videonassispodcast at gmail.com. Or alternatively, you can get me on my Twitter, which is at orange underscore monkey. Um, you know, everything that'd be fast, great to, to speak to you if you would. Next week, we are talking about Love Camp 7, which is. The first of four Nazi exploitation films that are on the list. Um, I ain't a great fan of them, uh, they, but you know um, they are they are on there, and we'll 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 deal with them with the respect we deal everything else. Um, 
even though they're not for me. So, to, to, to tune in next week to hear me kind of awkwardly discuss softcore porn. Until then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. seen a video nasty i wouldn't i have far too much how, how can you judge on a video nasty? oh you've seen one i actually don't need to see visually what i know is in that film